Thank you for this opportunity to come together and to study your word. We ask you to help us to see what you would want us to see from the life of Josiah and go, help us to go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, 2 Kings chapter 21. How about 22? <laughs> and one of those chapters. <laughs> one of those chapters we'll start reading. <laughs> All right, 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedidiah, uh, Jedidah, and the daughter of Adariah of Baska. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Aziah, and the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and that he may sum the silver which was brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered, gathered of the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work, and, and that the that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches in the house, unto the carpenters and the builders and the masons, and to, build, to buy timber and hew stones and to repair the house. Howbeit there was no reckoning made of, of, with them of the money that was delivered into their hand, because they dealt faithfully. So let's look at this. We have another very, very young king. Starts ruining at eight years old. Uh, now, I'm sure at eight years old, he had some advisors. There's no, no advisors mentioned for him. Back in, in chapter 11, when Josiah, uh, Joash was made king, he had the priest as his, mentioned as his advisor. And it said in his life that he did well all the days that the priest was alive. And then he kind of got, went off track. Now, we're going to find out that Josiah is one of the best kings of Israel. Now remember, we just read Hezekiah two chapters ago, and Hezekiah was said to be the greatest king up to that point. Josiah is going to be a great king. He's never going to go off the deep end. He's going to follow God, which is pretty amazing that at eight years old, he's going to come with the right attitude to follow God, and he's going to, when we see when he gets to 26, he's going to really start making good decisions uh, for the people. And so this is kind of an interesting thing, you know, and this shows us that, you know, there's a lot of people who question, can young children truly make a decision for God? And the answer is yes, because all you have to do is recognize that you're a sinner and that you need God's help. And Josiah is going to be one of those. Joash did a pretty good job when he was being counseled. But Joash, Josiah has never told us that he had counsel. I'm no, again, I know at eight years old he had to have counsel. Somebody had to be advising him. But it's going to turn out, the, very, the statement of God in verse 2 is, he did right in the sight of the Lord as David did, and did not turn aside from the right hand or the left. So he followed God's way for his lifetime. Now, that does not mean he did not make mistakes. But for the most part, his heart was to seek God. And this should be our goal for us when our testimony is, when people look at us and say, we obeyed God, we followed God to the best of our ability, not know, knowing that we're not going to be perfect. If anybody thinks you're perfect, they're deceived. 
especially if you think you're perfect, you're deceived. All right, because we know ourselves and we might be able to fool others. But God's testimony of Josiah was that he followed God, which means that he repented any time he did wrong and he sought after God. So when he was in his 18th year or when he was 26 years old, he sent his advisors to the priest. I'm not going to go over those names again. <laughs> and he said, go to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may sum the silver. Now, that's kind of an interesting way to put it, but make an account of it. You know, total it out, see how much money there is. And Josiah obviously is looking at the temple that for two previous kings, almost 50 to 60 years, nobody has been worshiping in this temple other than we had the king who put in all the idols into the temple. It's gone downhill. That's just funny. My chapter 21 I got in my Bible. This, this was one of the worst kings to have. And now this here on this page. Josiah. One of the best ones. It's just funny how I was reading that. Like yeah. From bad to good. But it took another king in between the two. Yeah. yeah but I mean. So Manasseh, one of the worst kings that Israel had, born during that extra 15 years that Hezekiah asked for, you know, when he didn't want to die, the worst king that came into existence ruled, was, was born during that extra period of time. He introduced in the temple, not just around the temple, not just around Jerusalem, in the temple, he put Astoroth pole, Baal altars, altars to all the stars and the constellations and the sun and the moon. In the holy place. In the holy place and all this stuff. And after he died, his son followed in, and now we have Josiah coming in, turning his heart to God. Now, at this point, he does not know what it means to turn to God completely. You know, okay, we're going to find out as we get into this, the law has been disappeared. It's been lost. Nobody has read God's word for two generations of worship. We had Manasseh who was done wickedly, he did not follow God. And then we had the one that followed him, uh, Ammon, and he did not follow God. So we've had for many years, nobody following God. And Josiah is not going to know what it means to follow God in, in, for a moment, but he does have a heart to serve God. He's looking at the temple and saying, he's not necessarily judging that all these idols don't belong in there. You know, maybe he trusts God, I don't know. But he is looking at the temples run down and saying, uh, we need to take some of this money that you're getting and fix the temple. And at this point, he's thinking about God. You know, God, this is God's house. And it's run down. It looks, it's a shambles. And so he goes to his Hakaya and he says, get the money, deliver it to the workers. <laughs> Deliver it to the workers so that they can buy lumber, they can buy stone, they can fix up this house. And he said, and they says, howbeit there was no reckoning made of them because they dealt faithfully. Now that's kind of an interesting thing. You just hand over money to them and say, we're not even going to make you account for it. We're not making you show us who you, what you bought, who you, who you, who, who you paid for it, uh, what you paid for it. But he could look and see, here's progress being made. And he's saying, okay, it doesn't matter because the progress is being made. At least the men who are doing the work are honest. They're going in and they're treating it. They, they know that they're working with God's money. And I think it's kind of funny because, you know, there are people 
they might steal from anybody else, but they won't steal from the church. <laughs> now, now, the really bad will steal from the church as well, but you know, there are people who say, I am not going to steal God's money. All right? Um, and I've met many of them, and I kind of feel the same way. I mean, not that I want to steal one way or the other, but I, if I was going to steal, I definitely wouldn't be stealing from God. All right? And that's the way these workers were. We're got, we've been given this money. We're going to build God's temple. Because even though all these abominable things are going on in the temple, they still think it of God as it is God's house. Now, this is kind of a strange thing, but this is happening even in our country, in our world right now. We have churches that are abandoning God, abandoning the word of God, abandoning Jesus, and still saying we're worshiping God. And it's like, well, what God are you worshiping? And this is the problem. At this point, they really don't know what God they're worshiping. They've had, uh, during Hezekiah's last days, everything started falling apart. All during the years of Manasseh, I think it was 31 years, if I recall correctly, uh, Manasseh was going the wrong direction and people were not worshiping God. And then we had his son coming after him. So we've got lots of time where people are not worshiping God. Now Manasseh's son uh, only reigned for two years. So he did not reign for a whole long time, but there's 30-some years where there's not been a worship of God in the temple. Or not just a worship of God. You went to the temple and worshiped whatever God you picked up. Picked, you, you, know, you could have picked Yahweh if you wanted to, but it was all these other gods to pick from in his house. And Josiah is at least looking in and saying, we need to fix this temple up. And now we look at verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them to do the work that have oversight in the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. A book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. All right. We have a hard time figuring out, you know, that how can the Bible be lost? <laughs> All right, But we did not have the same attitudes as the Hebrew people. They made one copy of the Bible. And when the priest would write a new copy because the old one would, was wearing out, after it had been double-checked and triple-checked, they destroyed the previous version. And you had only the current version. So the only one that you ever had was the one that was in the temple. And now, according to the book of the law... When they had a king, the king was supposed to write out his own copy and read it every day. Now, we do not see any king having ever written his own copy of the, of the word of God. David does not show it, say, say it. Solomon doesn't say it. Hezekiah doesn't say it. Joash, jo, uh, Josiah doesn't say it. Now, I kind of believe that jo, Josiah might have because he, would, he took everything so seriously when he heard the word. But they find the word of God stuck away in a back room someplace. What room, where, we don't know. But it was stuck amongst the junk. God's word. Now the, the priest understood what he said because what did he say? We have found the book of the law. 
Maybe he'd been looking for it. Maybe, he had, maybe he'd been down saying, we need to find this. Somewhere in the temple, there's, there's God's law, the, the, the books of Moses. They're out here someplace. We don't know where. And so he finds it, and this is a big deal to him. They have found the book of the law. What that means is the first five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books of the law, the books of Moses. And they said, we have found these. And Hilkiah gave it to Shaphan so that he could read it and take it to the king. Now, I find this interesting because I would think my first thing that I'd want to do as the high priest would be to read it myself. <laughs> All right? Read it myself and find out what it says. And maybe he did without it telling us. <laughs> but his first thought was, I want to get this to the king. Maybe he read it and maybe he was horrified by what he read and needed it to get to the king and find out what the king wanted to do. All right. We don't know on this. And in verse 9 it says, Shophan the scribe came to the king and brought the king, uh, oh, excuse me, verse 8, and Hilkiah read, and uh, Shophan read it. So he first read it. What, 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 do, what, do, what do we have here? And he is going to be shocked by what he reads. Because you've got to think about this. You're in a position where you have not read God's word for over 30 years. All of a sudden, his word shows up. They are not worshiping God in the temple correctly. They all, the gifts are not being given correctly. They have, not, they have not had Passover. They probably have not had Yom Kippur. They have not had any celebrations according to the scriptures. And they're going to find out that they're guilty. Because what did it say in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? If you don't obey all the laws, you're guilty and God was going to destroy you. And this is what they're reading. We're, we are not obeying God's rules. We are in trouble. And all of a sudden, they're going to look at, here's our temple. Have no other gods before me. And there are gods all over the temple, not just in Jerusalem and in Israel, but all over the temple of God, there are gods. And they're looking at the Ten Commandments saying, no other gods before me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and, and strength. And they're looking around and saying, uh, we don't follow that. They're going to look at all the various laws of keep the Sabbath and all the other laws out there and say, we are in trouble. And Hilkiah doesn't say, tore his garments. What's the first thing he does? He gets in to see the king. He has read this book. And it's kind of interesting how he delivers this information to the king. Verse 9. And Shophan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again, saying, your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and delivered it into the hands of them that do the work and that have oversight of the house of the Lord. Okay, that was what he was supposed to do, right? All right, you sent me to go get this taken care of. I gave the, minister, I gave the information to Hilkiah. He got the money out there and they're doing the job, king. Now, and then he goes, and Shophan the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. A book. Not even the book of the law. He goes, he just, he handed me a book. And, and then it says, and Shaphan read before it before the king. Now, Shaphan knew what this book was, if he knows anything, because the priest said it's the book of the law. He's read it and obviously does not have the same opinion as the king is going to have when he reads it. 
you know, this is just a book to, the, to describe. Yeah, he, gave me a, he gave me a book, and here, here's the book. I'm going to read it to you. I don't think, you know, reading through this, I just don't think Chafan really understood exactly the, the content of what he was given. You know, the priest told him it is the book of the law. He goes and tells the king is, he gave me a book, just, you know, just, just a book. Here, have, have, have a book. It, it's, it's the Bible, but here, have a book. You know, and that's kind of what he's saying. In our parlance, he's saying, here, here's a book. Here's a book, you know, just, I think maybe you might want to read it, but, you know, it's a book. You know, it, you know, here, you know, you can choose. Here's War and Peace or the Bible. Which one do you want? Which one do you want to read? You know, they're you know, just picking one out of the blue. <laughs> you know, uh, and that's kind of what it is. You know, just here, here's a book. You know, and then it says, and he read before the king. And it, verse eleven, and it came to pass when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he rent his clothes. He rent his clothes. He recognized what it was what it was being said. He heard about God the Creator in Genesis one through seven. He heard about the flood. He heard about God's judgment on the flood. He heard about he heard of the stories of Abraham and is Jesus right now? this is Josiah. Well, he's twenty six at this point. Right, he was following after the best to his billies at this time, but he's going to follow God when he gets the law. He's really going to respond to God's law, just as David did. David's heart was to follow God. Not that he did it perfect, he had all kinds of mistakes, but his heart was generally to follow God. And God says, if we're following him, he takes that into consideration because he knows one thing about us is he knows we're not perfect. And he knows that we cannot be perfect. So our heart is, when I sin and God convicts me of my sin, do I repent? Do I say, God, I am sorry, I have made a mistake, help me not do this again? Or do I go, oh, well, no, no big deal. There's lots of people who it's, oh, well, no big deal. I'm, you know, God knows I'm not perfect and he knows that I can't do it, so I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll stand in his grace and he'll forgive me. That is not what God wants. Yes, he will forgive. Yes, he will, yes, he will give us his grace, but he wants obedience. Not that we're going to be perfect. We can't be because we're sinners. But he's asking us, are you doing what you can to be obedient? Are you saying, yes, I want God to help. I want to follow God. Or am I just shrugging my shoulders saying, ah, whatever. What, what will be will be, you know, and, and I'm going to die, you know, and I'm going to make mistakes, and God will just have to understand. That was not Josiah's attitude. You know, he was probably horrified enough when he heard the stories of, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Then he heard about the, the exodus of the, the exodus of uh, out of Egypt, which he probably knew the stories of you know stories though he doesn't know the details of. Then he hears about the diso- getting the law and the disobedience of the people that went forty years in the wilderness. Then he hears all about Leviticus and all the ways they're supposed to be worshiping God. And he looks at the temple and going, "We have a problem." All right. Then he reads about numbers and God's judgment upon, upon the nation for all their disobedience. And then he gets to the retelling of the law in Deuteronomy and starts realizing how far they are from God. And his response was to take his garments and tear them and 
tear them in, in repentance and come before God. You know, this has not been done by very many kings in, in that period of time to just come to the place where we are in trouble. This is where our country is right now. The people need to get hold of God's word and say, God, we are in trouble. We have been so disobedient that we deserve the punishment that we get. And here's where Josiah is. God, you, I don't know why you haven't destroyed us yet. Hopefully my prayers are going to do some good. And he fully expected, you know, the Bible said they were going to be destroyed. He fully would have expected destruction. And this is why when I look at our world, I look at our country, and I'm looking, God, why haven't you destroyed our country yet? It is purely by his mercy and by his grace that we have not been destroyed because we deserve it. We are so disobedient to God as a country that we need to step in and have a revival like Joash is going to bring to his, to his people. Uh, as Hezekiah did to his people. Hezekiah was a good king. He destroyed all the temples outside of, of Jerusalem and the temples. He kept the, the temple pure, but his son was miserable. His son brought everything in there bad, and not just around Jerusalem like his previous kings did. He put those temples and those idols in the temple of God. And Joash has grown up with that. He does not know better. The word of God has not been taught to him. And, you know, for us, do you remember when you got saved and maybe you didn't know that you were doing so many things wrong according to the word of God because you didn't know God's word? You know, and all of a sudden you got shocked like, oh, how can I be doing this? You know, God, how, you know, I'm so glad you didn't destroy me before. Help me to be obedient. This is what Joash does. He hears God's word and he goes, Immediately, tearing the garment was a way of saying, I repent, there's, there's a bad thing. And it doesn't say it, but he probably put on sackcloth. All right? Uh, saying, I, I, we're going to repent before God. We're going to find out what we can do. Um, quick question. Mm -hmm. you know, it said that, that Chopin, the scribe, read the book before it. And so mm -hmm. is it, does that infer that he didn't realize what it was or that it was the books of Moses or... I don't know if Shaphan really, I, because he still, he tells the priest, he uh, tells the king they got a, they got a book. Yeah, that's, that's you know, I don't know that he understood what it was that, even though he read it, even though he read it and it was told to him it was the book of the law. Uh, maybe, maybe Shaphan isn't even a Jew. So he doesn't really understand what it is he's doing. I don't know. You know uh, but he doesn't seem, it doesn't seem that he understood when he was told, here is the book of the law. Again, we've got an entire generation that hasn't been taught God's word as a group. And there's all, God always has a remnant, so there's always somebody who's following God and seeking after him. But as a nation, nobody has followed after God, and nobody really knows what's going on. And maybe they don't fully understand what it is they've got. You know, Hilkiah says, I found the book of the law. It doesn't indicate even that he really studied it or anything or read it. You know, it just says, I found the book of the law. Otherwise, I think he'd have been in a panic. You know, uh, he's the high priest. He's, and he's finding out what he doesn't know. He is just doing things the way that he has been taught to do it. And ritualism becomes part of many churches all, all the time. We don't know what the Bible says, so we're just doing what we've been taught. And this is a very dangerous place to get in. Uh, 
This happened to the Catholic Church over the generations where the Bible was pulled away from the, even the priest did not have access to the Bible because they weren't smart enough to understand it according to the, the highest numbers. So they just taught tradition, taught stories. Uh, the American West has all kinds of truisms that aren't in the Bible, but they would always say, the good book says. You know, the good book says that cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, sorry, that wasn't in the Bible. The good book says God helps those who help themselves. No, sorry, that's exactly opposite of what the Bible says. But yet they would attribute it to the book because even though many of them had Bibles, at least occasionally, they didn't read them. They just took what they thought it said or what others taught them that it said and never read the Bible. And this is the sad thing, even in our day, there are so many Christians that have never read the Bible. They know a handful of stories. They might know the creation story a little bit. They know a little bit about Noah. They, they might know a little bit about the 10 plagues of Egypt. Uh, they kind of know some hit or miss on some of the judges' stories, maybe Gideon, maybe the fall of the walls of Jericho. They know David killed Goliath. They might know the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, you know, uh, they know a handful of stories, but they don't really know the importance of any of those stories. And they probably don't even know those stories, you know, to their, to their depth. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because you ask people, well, how did Goliath die? Well, you know, I'm not going to embarrass anybody by asking you, but how did no. Goliath die? Shot nope. Nope. David chopped his head off. He stunned, he stunned him with the blow from the stone and then wow. went out and cut his head off and okay. held his head up. He took Goliath's sword. He took Goliath's sword from him and cut Goliath's head off. <laughs> yeah, that sword was heavy. I don't think he said that, but he said, God will deliver you into my hands. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 ask, you ask people how many animals were taken onto the ark. And everybody will say two of every animal, but that's not the complete answer. It's, it's seven pairs of the, un, of the clean animals. So there's two of every kind of animal, and the clean animals, which were sacrificial animals, there were 14 of. Well, I would say every two. Uh, so, but you see what I'm saying? Little, little bits of our stories that we have to look at. Yes. Sheep, goats, the birds would have had 14 of each. The ones that were... were the, of the clean animals, you had 14. Of the unclean animals, you had pairs. God's statement. You got to get into the Bible. You got to get into the Bible. Yeah. No, no, not that. No, the ones that were off, one, animals that were available for sacrifice. Sheep, goats, most, many of the birds that you could offer for sacrifices. But they have to have no blemishes? To be offered, but not to be, not to be considered clean animals. Perfect. Yeah, not, but not to be clean animals, to be sacrificed. Yeah, there's two different things. And then in, and then in Exodus, God said, you can eat of any of the clean animals, but you can't eat the unclean animals. Which is kind of interesting in our day and age because we know that why we can't eat the unclean animals because they're not healthy for us. Uh, pigs, bear, uh, sheep, uh, not sheep, uh, rabbits. Uh, 
uh, camels, goats are allowed to be eaten because they have clothes and hoods, and uh, camels were not allowed to be eaten. Um, any, any carrion bird was not allowed to be eaten because of how the diseases they get. Rabbits have all those tumors in them that make them difficult to eat. Any, yeah, rabbits have lots of tumors if you eat them in the wrong time of the year. Worms and tumors and parasites. Uh, any, any fish that doesn't have scales was not allowed, so your catfish are not allowed, which is my favorite fish. Uh, you cannot eat shrimp, any, 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 anything in the ocean that, have, that had a shell in it was not edible. Which is, they, they, are, they are scavengers and they are not healthy, healthy for you to eat. Uh, so there's all kinds of interesting things that God said you're not allowed to eat. And the ark allowed, had that same thing going all the way back. We are not under the law, so we no, so we have problem. For the Jewish for the Jewish person, they would not eat unclean water, uh, unclean food, if they were truly following everything of God. They would die first rather than eat. Take Peter when Peter was on the roof, and that sheet came down with all the unclean animals in it, and God said, "Take and eat." And he goes, "No, God, I have never eaten an unclean thing," and he meant that he would never. Even if he was dying, he would not eat an unclean thing. And then after the third time, God said, don't call uh, what, I, what I have said is clean, unclean, as he was told to go to the Gentiles to, to minister to them. Well, that's, uh, that's a question. I mean, if God made all this stuff, why did they become unclean? What event in history made things unclean and, and had disasters? The fall. At the fall, things became unclean because now we've got, and technically we need the scavenging animals to clean up this world, but we don't want to be eating those animals because they eat all the unclean stuff and, and they're, they're the things that clean up. The shrimp and the gatfish and all those things clean up the oceans and the rivers and we shouldn't be eating them. All right. Now, however, I love my shrimp. I love my catfish. I love, I love those things. So I would not make a good Jew. <laughs> uh, so, but yes, the fall brought thorns, brought death, brought sickness. When Adam and Eve fell, it wasn't just man who was cursed. Everything, Everything in this world was cursed by the fall of the of the original parents who had rule over the world. And this is a big, their sin was so drastic that as Paul said in Romans, the entire creation is waiting for the culmination. All of creation, the shaking of the earth, the violence in the earth, the, the, the hurricanes, the, the, the tornadoes, all of the, the bad weather we have and the earthquakes, and all the death and destruction and the thorns and the thistles and everything else that are out there, all are a result of the sin of Adam and Eve. And that's why we have weeds, because of that. Uh, you know, all of that happened because of the sin. The one sin that started all of this. And this is why it's important for us to understand, if we discount Genesis account, and we try to go with evolution, which has death, destruction, disease, and, and everything before 
sin, there's no reason for Jesus. There's no reason for death. There's no, there is no hope for eternity because there's no reason for anything else. This is why creation is so important because creation was made perfect and Adam and Eve's sin brought all death, destruction, and evil upon this world. And Satan uses it to drive people from God. And here is that problem. One catastrophic event in history changed everything. Now, one catastrophic event in history also changed everything again when Jesus died on the cross. And he took and he paid for sin. And it was so catastrophic. What happened during that time? The sun was darkened for three hours. It wasn't an eclipse like people try to say, oh, because there's no such thing as a three-hour eclipse. There was a mighty earthquake in Jerusalem that opened the graves, and people were resurrected, and they saw the mom and dad walking around and grandma and grandpa walking around until they were taken, taken into heaven. It was a catastrophic event of a good nature at the cross. And there'll be one other third catastrophic event at the end of the millennial kingdom when God totally destroys this world and starts a new heaven and new earth that is perfect. That's how billion Huh? That's how billion How so we have three catastrophic events that two have already passed. One is, one is coming. And each one has changed this, this world drastically. First one, all to the bad. Second one, giving us, giving us salvation. Not all for good, but giving salvation, making salvation possible. The third one would be all for good. All the bad, all the evil destroyed. And the new heaven and earth created for us to rule in. And I don't even know what all that will mean, but it's just going to be a wonderful place to be in our glorified bodies, ruling over the angels and having our positions that we have earned through this lifetime. And what a beautiful thing. Josiah doesn't know any of this stuff. He's hearing this catastrophic news for the first time. Sin, bringing all this evil in, all the rules that God gave them that they aren't following. And the promise of God that if you don't follow my laws... I'm going to destroy you. He's in a panic. <laughs> All right? Because he honestly has the heart after God. He rents his clothes. And verse 11, uh, verse, verse 12. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahiakim the son of, the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Asarhiah the servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people of all Judah concerning the words of the book, of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that was written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Achim and Achbor and Shaphan and Asahiah went unto Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shulam, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they communed with her. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Because, uh, behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, 
even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which you have read, because your heart was tender and you have humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and have rent your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather you unto your fathers, and you shall be gathered unto your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring unto this place. And they brought the king word again. All right. His immediate thing was, I need to know what God wants. And I love it. He says, I want to inquire of the Lord. And it's very interesting because if you really understood what was supposed to happen, the one who was supposed to be inquired of was Hilkiah the high priest. But Hilkiah the high priest obviously doesn't know what it means to follow God. He does not know that he has the thunum and the, tr- uh, the thrum and the urum to inquire of the Lord for. He doesn't know how to use them. He hasn't been trained. He doesn't know how to worship God. He doesn't know probably even how to offer the sacrifices. And so what do they do? They go find a prophetess. All right? And uh, he says, go, find out. He goes, and I love this, go inquire of the Lord for me for the people and for the people of Judah concerning the words of this law, of this book, which have been found, for great is the wrath of God. His heart was touched. God had said, if you don't follow my laws, I'm going to destroy you. That's all he knew. He doesn't know of all the grace that God has had. He just knows that you obey God, God blesses. You disobey God, he's going to curse you and kick you out of this land that he's going to give you. He doesn't have the books of Joshua and, and Judges. He doesn't have the, all these other books that go on to read. He just knows we're in trouble. We're not worshiping God the way God said to worship him. He's, he's heard now the all the 312 laws that God has said you're supposed to obey, and he may not understand all 312 of them, but he understands enough to know we are in trouble. We have not been sacrificing to God. We have not been following the holy days. We have not been having the festivals that we're supposed to be. We're not doing any of the things. And a matter of fact, he goes, there's other gods in God's temple. And at that point, he hadn't had much problem with it, probably. He's, he's grown up with polytheism. He doesn't know anything better. He knows that he's following the God, hopefully. I think he's really following the God, Jehovah, but there's other gods in this temple, and he doesn't think twice about it. It's the way he's been raised. It's what he's used to. All of a sudden, he's told, there's not supposed to be any other God. Matter of fact, if you're worshiping the other gods, I'm going to punish you. He saw the punishment of all the gods of Egypt. He saw the punishment of of Aaron when he worshipped the golden, brought the golden calf worship and he saw what was done by them. He sees all of these things going on. He sees, he sees the picture of them standing on the mountains calling blessings and cursings upon each other, if you remember that story in Deuteronomy, where they called the curses of God and the blessings on them through obedience and disobedience on, on the two mountains across the valley. He, he's hearing all of this and he's going, 
God, can you forgive us? Because he's thinking about how bad they are. And he sends somebody to say, go find out. Go get an answer. I want to know about God. He doesn't know the story of Jonah where Jonah preaches to Nineveh and Nineveh is forgiven. He doesn't know all these stories where God has forgiven and, and repented and, and brought people back. He doesn't have, they haven't read the stories of Joshua and Judges where Judges has that long cycle of people going into sin and coming back and repenting and, and turning to God and being forgiven. He just knows what the law says. And the law says he's in trouble. The law says God is going to judge them and, and, and kick them out of, their, out of their land. That's what he knows. He's not seeing the mercy and forgiveness of God. All he knows is law. And this is the hard part. When all we understand about God is his rules and his law, we don't want to approach God. You know, we don't want to approach God that's going to do nothing but condemn and he's been condemned already. He doesn't know the grace of God. He doesn't understand the mercy of God. He probably doesn't know, he hasn't been singing the Psalms of David because there's not been worship in the temple. They're not, you know, when David established a temple, he set up singers to, to praise God in the temple 24-7. They sang all the time in the temple, worshiping God. So when you went to the temple, you heard the praises of God when, you know, to hear the singing. And you worshiped God. He hasn't grown up. The, the temple has become a junk place, junkyard. So much junk that they lost the law of God. You know, it's become a junkyard. When Joash cleaned it up, it took him months to clean, clean up the temple because so much junk had been acquired in there. And they didn't have all the idols in there. It had just become a junkyard. Nobody was worshiping God. And they did become, well, we don't have any place else to put it. Put it in the temple. You know, and no worship was going on. Same type of thing here. We don't, it doesn't say it became a junkyard, but the, the word had been lost. All these idols are in there not being worshipped or being worshipped. And he, all of a sudden, hears, have no other God before me. He hears that you're supposed to come to Jerusalem three times a year to worship God. And he goes, my people aren't coming to Jerusalem three times a year to worship God. I haven't been coming to Jerusalem three times to worship God. He goes, yeah, I live here, but I haven't gone to the temple three times a year to worship God. He goes, I haven't been offering my sin sacrifice. I haven't been. Maybe they were practicing some form of Passover. Maybe. But he's going, all this stuff is not happening. What little worship was going on was just tradition. And he's going, we are in trouble. And it says, go, because God's angry with us. And I don't want to, I want to find out, can we be forgiven? Go inquire of the Lord. And so they went and they met Huldah the prophetess and it's kind of interesting it says now she also dwelt in Jerusalem in the college that is not the proper translation of that verse if you have any of the newer versions it probably says the second district or the second uh, verse 14 it says she lived in the college (laughs) the actual transition translation is she lived in the second district Second quarter, second district. Jerusalem was cut up into districts and quarters. And I'm not sure exactly where the second district was. Uh, but she lived in a particular spot that at that time was known. Uh, just as Israel, Jerusalem to this day is broken up into four quarters. But that was done by human beings to, to give the Muslims an area, the Jews an area, the, the Protestants an area. 
maybe it was still kind of that same way, but they'd broken it up. And they go, she was in the second district of, of Jerusalem. In the college, that's what King James says. But it should be second quadrant or second district. Where did they get college? I don't know. I don't. I didn't know where it was. It's it's nowhere in the Hebrew. There's no way you could come out with college out of out of the Hebrew. Now maybe somebody said there was a college in the second quadrant. I don't know. I, I didn't look up to why it was translated that way. Uh, all I know is this is one of the places where the King James did a bad job translating. All right. Uh, and there they communed with her, which means that they talked with, they spoke with her at, that, at, that, at her house. And she said, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. All right, so she's saying this is God's word. Tell the man that sent you to me. Now it seems like she doesn't know who sent them at this point. But later on in her thing, she knows exactly who sent him, sent them. But right now she's starting with a very general question. Tell the man that sent you, thus saith the Lord. All right, so now she's repeating him. All right. And can you imagine this? The very first thing he's told is, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. All right, can you imagine? Let's just stop there before she even gets to the rest of this. You know that you and your nation are in deep sin. You know that God is going to judge you, and the very first words are coming out is God's going to judge you. This was not the words he was hoping to hear the way it starts out. Huh? Yeah, calamity, bring the evil, calamity. Uh, you know, I'm going to bring the evil upon this place, just as I promised. Josiah's read this book. He knows that they deserve to be destroyed. He knows that they deserve it, and he's hoping that God's going to have mercy on him. But there's not, if you read nothing but the book of the law, there's not a whole lot of mercy. There is mercy if you look carefully. All right? But there's not a whole lot of mercy in there. All right? God, when he delivers uh, Lot from Sodom, and Sodom, and Lot says, I can't make it all the way on the first day, and he goes, can I just stay at this little city and get there, and God says, fine, I'll, you go in that little city, and I'll protect that city for your sake. All right? Mercy. You know, we see Abraham told to offer Isaac on the altar, and God provides a lamb in his place. Mercy. We see God's mercy. Every time Israel rebels against God in the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God shows mercy. Does Josiah see all that mercy? I'm not sure. Most people, when they first read the book of the laws, does not see God's mercy all through it. You have to read it and study it to see his mercy all over the place. Maybe he understood enough of the mercy going, God, well, you, went for, you, you gave him 40 years of disobedience. Maybe you'll be merciful to us. And then in verse 17, because you have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. All of his greatest fears on those first two sentences are being reinforced. Josiah, you're dead meat. <laughs> you, know, you and your nation are dead meat. And, and you, know, it, you know, he would be very 
very hard-pressed. He's hearing the worst news that he could possibly think of in those first two sentences. And then the nice word, but. <laughs> All right? I love the word, but, when in the Bible because something is changing. Now, I don't like it when things are good coming down and it says, but. <laughs> but when something bad's been happening and it says, but, I look forward to what's following. All right? And I think Hezekiah's probably going, okay, there's a but here. What's, what's, what are you going to tell me? But to the king of Judah, which has sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus saith, say you to him, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you have humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard that which I spoke against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and have rent your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Josiah, because you responded the right way, I have heard your request. It is wonderful that when we repent and humble ourselves before God, God hears us. And you know, you think about this. When you got saved and you repented before God, did you know everything that you were doing when you repented before God? I sure didn't know at 10 years old, and most people don't. Most people know, I'm in trouble with God. God says, don't do this. I've been doing this. God, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. I'm going to put my trust in you. It's not until years after when we really study the Bible that we really start to understand how evil we are, how much grace God gave to us to forgive us. And here's Josiah. God, we're in trouble. I repent. I'm throwing myself at your mercy. Can you please do something good out of this? And he's told in this sentence, because you responded correctly, I'm not going to send these things to you. Verse 34, Behold, therefore, I will gather you unto your fathers, and you shall be gathered unto your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the evil which I have bring upon this place, and that they have brought and they brought the king word again. Now we're going to find out that Josiah is going to follow God with his whole heart after this. Now, this message was given to Hezekiah. It's been given to several people, but do you remember what they said when they got this message? You know, on two other places, it's like, well, thank you, God, that you're not going to do it to me. And, you know, it's going to be on my children. Okay. We don't see that from Josiah. Josiah's heartbroken that God's going to judge the people, and I think he's hoping for a revival to break, you know, to break out even more. And it's not going to happen. We're going to find out there's only four more kings, and most of them have a short rule, short reign after Josiah. But Josiah does not say, okay, thank you, God. As long as, as, long as things are good for me, do what, you want to, do, do what you want. He has the true heart for his nation. He does not want to see his nation harmed, even though they deserve it. He has the, the, the real heart of a leader that says, God, I want what's best for my people. Don't let something bad. Hezekiah, well, I'll take it out of your children, and your children are going to go into captivity and be eunuchs. Okay, God, fine, as long as it's not me. You know, uh, that was just two chapters ago. You know, fine, as long as it's not me, God, it's, it's, I'm happy. Peace in my time, okay, you can do what you want to my sons, my descendants, you know, no big deal. He had no heart for his people. You know, no true heart for his people. He was very selfish. Whatever is good for me. 
But that selfishness revealed itself when he said, God, I want more time. I've been good. I've, I've served you. I'll give me more time. You know, and God had said, I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to bring you home and you know, prepare your house. It's time to come home. And, he's, and he wept to reject God. And then later on was told, you know, hey, this is what's going to happen. You've been headed the wrong way, and now bad's going to happen to you, but not in your lifetime. Okay, God, fine, as long as it's not me. You know, I, as a father, do not want my kids to suffer. You know, I would rather suffer than they suffer. And this is what David did when he made some of his decisions. He took the suffering on himself rather than his nation. He was driven away. He was going through problems so that the nation did not because he was a shepherd that cared for his people. We need to be having that same attitude. God, help us into repentance. I do not want to see the America, America fall apart, but I know that we have to repent for us not to fall apart. Will we repent? I hope so. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of hope in it. We have gone a long ways down the wrong path. And if it's going to be a repentance, it needs to be a serious repentance to gain more time. I just don't see it happening, unfortunately. But God is more mighty than I can, can imagine. He might be able to change and bring repentance. He's done it at other times. It will take repentance. Otherwise, this nation will be judged. But you know what? Our entire world needs to be judged. There's not a godly nation out there right now. The world is a place where it needs to be judged. It's going to take a major revival for God's wrath to be held back. The, the world needs to get serious with God and repent. Otherwise, we are headed to Revelation really quick. And I think we're headed there anyway, but I would love to see one more revival and gain another 50 to 100 years so that my grandkids can grow up uh, in, a, in, in a world that is not total disaster. Unfortunately, it will take a miracle. God is perfectly capable of it, but it will take a miracle for a worldwide revival to happen. It's happened in the past. It can happen again. But we need to pray as Christians, God, we repent. In Chronicles, it says, if my people who are called by my name shall repent... The repentance has to start with God's people in his house. Because we are guilty too. The church is guilty of not allowing all this sin to develop and not saying anything against it. Not coming against all the sin. Now the church does come against it, but not as a whole. There was a whole generation in the early, late 1800s and early 1900s where the church did not speak up against where this country was going. We are reaping what we have allowed to happen. And it may be too late for the church to step in and get things, get, but we need to repent. We need to confess. When you read Daniel's confession before God, his great prayer in Daniel, it is so interesting. Daniel is one of the men who's considered a very perfect man, an upright man, but he keeps saying in his great prayer of repentance for the nation, I, we, I, 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 and when he says, I, I have sinned, we have sinned, over and over again, he is putting it, and the church needs to get to that point where we recognize we have messed up. We have allowed all of this stuff to happen, and we need to get back to an evangelistic point of view and God's standards. 
And it's going to be very hard because it is hard to speak for with, with God now because we are criticized if we take a stand for God in this world. Because we are called people who judge, people that hate, people that have problems. You know, you know, if you say that homosexuality is wrong and adultery is wrong and fornication is wrong and transgenderism is wrong, you're considered a hater. Even though God says very clearly those are sins, we as churches need to get some guts and stand up and say, God says this, it's going to be where I stand. And we need to have that stand and it's going to get us in trouble. It's going to get people to hate us and not like where we stand because we stand for God. And we need to be able to understand Jesus said that they hated me, they're going to hate you. When we stand up for God, the world will hate us. But we are salt to this world. Now the church has failed in many areas, but the church has stood up. A remnant of the church has stood up. How bad would this world be if the church hadn't brought salt into it? Imagine what will happen when God raptures this church and there is no salt restraining Satan's direction. We think we're going to hell in a handbasket now. Just imagine what happens when the spirit is, when the church is taken out and there's nobody telling the world that they're doing wrong. It is going to get bad in a very quick, quick pace where everything good is being every, is said to be bad and everything bad is said to be good. You'll have people stealing, killing, murdering, you know, doing whatever they want and thinking they're doing good during the tribulation period. I've seen some of the recently of these parents that are deciding to not uh, give their children any rules. Yeah, we're seeing it. Yeah. I love my kids so much, I'm not going to give them rules. And it's only going to get worse. So we need to really be looking at, as a church, if we truly want to see revival, we need to be praying for revival and confessing our fault, our part of the problem, so that God can do a great revival. I don't have much hope for it, but I do, I know that he can. And we need to look for this because our only hope of not entering into the tribulation period right now is that. But on the flip side is, I'm looking forward to him rapturing us out of here. I'm looking forward to going home. So it's kind of hard for me to get real excited about praying for revival for the world when that just means, okay, I got to die. <laughs> I got to go through the rest of this life. On the one, so I'm torn between the two. God, do a great revival and let's have, let's have more people get saved. And that's really a truly on it. Or God, come quickly because I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm ready to go and have, be done with this world. And this is the tearing of us as Christians. Pray for revival, but know that our goal is to get to heaven. And the rapture gets me there quickly. And all my problems are over when the rapture comes. And, and the God, can, God can rapture at us any time, but I think things are going to get a lot harder for us as Christians before it happens. Now, as I say that, I understand. You know, it, can be, it can be today. It can be tonight on my way home that I get raptured. But I think things are going to get really rough for us as Christians before the rapture occurs. Just because I read all of Scripture and they said that hated you, they're going to hate you. Hate, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Uh, you know, there's going to be tribulations. There's going to be trials. Now, I understand also that most of the world, Christians are under heavy persecution. There are places in this world that if you're a Christian, you don't expect to live more than two years because you're going to be persecuted and killed. We in America so far have not had that problem. It's getting worse and it's going to get worse. I believe that we're going to face imprisonment and death before Christ comes. 
I'm not ruling out the immediacy of Christ. Christ could come tonight. But I just look at the scriptures and say, God, I don't think we're there yet. You know, yes, you could come. Everything that's needed to come is there. But I do, and I know American Christians don't want to hear this, but I think we're going to suffer heavy persecution before he comes. And, and put into jail and facing death and facing heavy persecution, not just the possibility of losing my job or having somebody make fun of me, or, but literally face persecution before the end comes. I would like to hope that I'm wrong because I'd, like I'd like the rapture to come tonight on my way home or even before I get into my car. And We have this problem going on. I want it to happen soon. I think it's going to be a while. So yeah, this is true. His, he said he's coming back soon, and that was 2,000 years ago. Uh, so we need to be prepared for his coming. We need to pray for a revival and be ready for the problems that are going to come our way. There's going to be a hard time. And there are going to be people that reject Christ that are still Christians because it did in the first century. They everybody didn't go and die for Christ. There were people that said, well, I'm going to drop these, seed, these grains of seed you know, on the altar because God will forgive me and I, don't, and I don't feel like dying. Not that they rejected God, but they were just too fearful to obey him. So our prayer needs to be, God, give me the strength and the grace to stand for you. And you know, my concern is there's going to be many Christians that because of the gospel that's taught in America, a prosperity gospel, and everything is supposed to be good when you're saved, that are not going to be able to withstand persecution because they've not been trained that persecution was coming. And this is one of the reasons I tell us all the time, persecution's coming. We need to be ready. Because if you're not ready and you get hit by it, it's going to throw you for a loop. It's just like if you've played sports, why do you practice and practice and practice and practice so that when you're in the game situation and the pressure's on, you do what you're supposed to do just out of instinct. If we're going out there thinking that I'm not going to have any problems and God's always going to take care of me and I never have to stand, you're going to fall. You're going to fall flat on your face. If you're ready for it, saying, God, I know trials and tribulations are coming. I may have to give my life. Now my mindset is in a whole other place. I still may make the wrong decision when it's, when it's that time, but now I'm in the mindset to make a right decision. It was almost 10 years ago, if you remember, when the Coptic Christians were executed on the beach in Egypt. You know, they, they, they filmed them being beheaded, and they were singing to God because they were ready to sacrifice to God. I want myself to be that kind of a testimony that I am singing to God praises as I'm facing an execution. But that one, is, that one has stuck in my mind ever since I saw it because of how bold they were. And it was very surprising that it ever hit the news because most of the time, those martyrdoms do not hit the news. That one managed to hit the news. And none of them recanted. None of them begged for, begged for, for it. They knew that they were going to heaven and they were ready to face. So we need to be ready. We don't know when our time will come to face persecution. And for most of us, we think we're persecuted if somebody makes fun out of us and laughs at us for our Christianity. Well, that's not persecution. You know, persecution might start with a loss of a job, and that's not even real persecution. When we're thrown into prison, 
we're beat, we're violated, we're hurt because of our Christianity, that's where persecution starts. And I'm not going to go deep into it, but if you haven't read it, read Fox's Book of Martyrs because it's a hard book to read, but it talks about all the things that have happened to Christians and the abuses that have happened to Christians. And I, I think everybody should read that. It's a very hard book to read because of how hard, of how cruel and how visual he really is with it, what happened. But we need to know what the world is capable of, what Satan is capable of getting the world to do. And you want to be aware that it's not going to be pretty when we're attacked. And actually, the Coptic Christians had it easy. They had their heads cut off. They were not abused like many of the Christians have been over, over time. And we need to be ready and, and say, God, I need your strength. I need your help. I need to you prepare my heart to stand for you when everything is bad. And I'm not trying to be down on this. I'm trying to help us and be encouraged to be ready. Be ready for what's going to happen probably in our lifetime. If we have a revival, who knows when it happens, and then some other generation has to be ready for what's going to come. But I have not heard God tell me, like Josiah, it's not going to happen in your lifetime. Hasn't told me that. Josiah repented, and he was going to lead his people into repentance so that they were able to get this freedom from the judgment that was coming their way. Lord, thank you for this evening. Lord, Help us to prepare our hearts for, for your judgment and, and persecution to come upon us. But also, Lord, we pray that you bring repentance to our nation and to this world and that we will see another great awakening that you will judge and postpone your judgment. But Lord, prepare our hearts if that's not to happen. Prepare our hearts to go through the suffering that will come our way because of that persecution. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you, and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.